Well, thanks for having me back. <laughs> I, um, I, know, I feel like I'm playing for the home team when I come here, you know. It's, <laughs> it's not, a, not a big stretch. I don't feel like a, a guest after 20-something years. Um, I, in the life of any preacher, there's going to be a couple of stories that, you know, you're going to hear more than once. That's just how life is. I, our dear brother Peter, if I said, for those of you who've been around a while, I just would have to say Jackass Hill, and you could immediately, you could all tell the story, right? Well, this is maybe one of those, I don't know, I haven't told it that often, but it's in that story category that I stands out. It was early in my ministry and in life of my children, I worked for a national Christian organization. We had a conference that was in San Diego. And, and so I had this great idea that why don't we just make it a little vacation? You know, I'll take the kids with us. And of course, we didn't have any money to fly everybody, so we decided to drive. And my kids were, were youngsters. And um, if you have more than one child and you've been on a road trip, most likely your children behaved in the same way as my brothers and I did, which was when we got in the car, suddenly it, it became, like, it was like kingdoms, and we, we, we had the dividing line. You, you, you remember, especially in the old days, the, the seats had that, that seat. oh, I just threw down $5, wow. Um, the, the, the seats had, you know, those, the, the, like the piece of the upholstery that would divide, and, 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 and then the kids would talk about their side, my kids, you're on my side. And of course, they're both sitting next to that line, you, you know, and, 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 and you're touching me. Uh, if I hear, he's touching me, or, or he's looking at me. You know, the, you know how it's going, right? Well, I'm going to this conference, a national conference, big speakers. I have to be spiritual. I mean, I'm going in the service of, of our Lord. And, and we do the conference, and we're we're coming home, and the conference, you know, has ended. I don't have to be so spiritual now, I suppose. <laughs> and so, I, I, I'm not lying. We're, it's 10 minutes outside of San Diego, and it's, he's touching me, he's looking at me, how much longer? And, and because I suppose I'd been to the conference, and I had been filled some with the Spirit, I was able to last, and I know this precisely, I know it was in Utah. I'm not blaming Utah, I'm just saying it was there. And I know it was dark. And I wanna say that I was the pilot, I was driving, and I think all of us can agree that the co-pilot is in charge of passenger behavior. And I don't want to throw April under the bus, but she was, shall we just, let's just say she was negligent. <laughs> and, and she didn't understand passenger safety and control the way that I did as the pilot. And, and so we are somewhere in the plains of Utah, and it is dark, and I snap. Like suddenly something snaps, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'll turn around, 
because this is what my children saw. And we had an old station wagon. It was some 70s urban, you know, assault vehicle, big, old, old station wagon. And I am trying to injure them, if I can. And I start screaming at them, I have told you to shut up for the last time. It's dangerous. Of course, I don't know what I'm driving towards even. But my kids, and I, I don't know all I said, but I know it, I think it lasted five minutes. This, this is this eruption of all of the wisdom I had in the world to give to them. And I, I, I the worst part was the car was too big. I couldn't reach them. They had pinned themselves to the corners. And so as I'm flailing towards them, I am just screaming. And I can still remember absolute terror in their eyes. And finally, I just get exhausted. And I turn around and I look at my wife. There. And for just a moment, oh, I felt so good. Like all that pent up energy, frustration. Oh, it just felt marvelous. But you probably know how this story goes because in some way we've all lived the same kinds of stories, perhaps not precisely. But you know, that's a pretty short-lived feeling of feeling good. We'll, we'll play a little bit of... Um, of uh, uh, this day in history. A little over 500 years ago, Ponce de Leon, remember Ponce de Leon? Well, just maybe you just know the name, but do you know what he was famous for? He was governor of Puerto Rico, kind of discovered or was part of the Florida expedition. Remember why? Do you remember why he left Puerto Rico to go to Florida? The very reason you and I are motivated by almost every action and behavior, everything we do, was the Ponce de Leon factor. We want to live. We want to live. Ponce de Leon, 1513, he, he set out to find the fountain of youth, believing that living meant I could exist forever. That, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not how the Bible will describe it, but it's close enough that every action, every behavior, is in service, every decision I make is in service to an inner drive. I want to live. So I, I say that because even what I did, which was a terrible thing to my children, and we'll, we'll come back to it, but was in response to an inner drive to live, to be fully alive, the Bible has a, an interesting word. It calls that eternal life. We often hear eternal life as, as a metaphor for existing forever. That has that, that, that's one benefit of eternal life, but that's not what eternal life is. Eternal life is the thing that I inside want. It's what I'm looking for. And it's what drives every decision I make. That's a very simple spirituality, but let's see how it works. Is now we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and we're going to look at a particular word that we've already talked about so far this morning, this word patient. And how patient 
is in service to the desire to really live. So this is found in Galatians 5, beginning in verse um, 16. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk. We'll take a little pauses here and there. Walk. It, it, think of it this way. In this journey to want to really live, I say walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, here's what's going to be interesting that we got to remember. The desires of the flesh are after the very same thing that the Spirit is after. This desire to live. The, the flesh has a way of trying to help me live. Everything I do, quote, in the flesh is because I believe that that is what will help me live. That this quality of life that I long for. Now, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. In other words, they, there's two different systems, there's two different ways, there's... there's in service of this instinct, this sounds so simplistic, I got a couple of choices. If I'm going to really live, I have the impulse of the flesh and I have the leading and the guiding of the spirit. And they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want. The flesh is trying to help you live and the spirit is saying, you're not going to get there. The thing I want is to live. I want this life. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, something about the flesh. The flesh, we're going to discover here in just one second, has a couple of um, tricks. It has a couple of methods by which it will inform us that we can actually live. One is if I just gratify every impulse I have. I can live. Or I can follow an incredibly strict regimen of rules. Those are the two ways in which I can find this life that I'm longing for. I can follow rules to the T. It's all about the rules. Or I can just do anything that I have an impulse to do. So this is how he describes that. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. If I just impulsively act on what would feel good. Idolatry. If I line myself up with power. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division. If I can be on the winning team, if, if I can have power over you, if I can win, if I can win, I can live. Yeah, we'll pause for a second. You can think of, regardless of your political persuasion, just think of politics today. Politics today is, I believe, in service of this inner desire to want to live. And how is it mostly displayed? If I have more power, if I beat you, then I can live. I, I can feel this living thing. Envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, these who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Another way to say they will not live in this life eternal. Again, not so much about something that happens when I die, but this experience that I'm longing for today. Now let me go back to this first list, this list of the flesh. And let me say this, that in the moment, not one of those items feels bad. Not one. Every one of those feels good in the moment. And it wouldn't seem to make sense that if something feels good, that would lead me to this life eternal. This kind of life that I'm longing to live and that you're longing to live and my neighbor and everybody else. And so that's why this, this Bible thing becomes so weird because there's something misleading sometimes about feeling good. Isn't that what we thought life would be? If, if life eternal, doesn't it make sense that if something feels good, that's in that category? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no rules, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us walk with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. A couple of simple sort of bumper stickers that will help us for today's conversation. One, every decision every human makes is because they want to live. Walking by the Spirit is almost always your second impulse or your second choice. It is rarely the first instinct you will have. Maybe over time, as you've been trained and as you've experienced and learned and grown and matured, as the Bible talks, but initially, the Spirit is the second option. Let me describe, let me give you three words and then I'll describe them. We'll, we'll talk about it. Let me describe patience. It's interesting, some translations, and patience is a word that gets throughout the scripture. It describes the character of God. It, 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 it describes his people. It, it, it's all over the Bible. Let me give you a little summary of, of the words, patience, forbearance. One of my favorite would be long-suffering is another way that people used to translate that word. But patience often looks like one of these three. Do nothing. Let it hurt. Be insignificant and foolish. Yeah. 
Do nothing, let it hurt, be insignificant. What if you pick your, sort of your temptation of choice? Whatever it may be. Maybe yours is in the food area, or the sexual area, or the pharmaceutical area, or whatever it may be. What if, when that impulse came, what if every time I had the impulse to eat a donut, if I waited three minutes? That's all. I'm just saying something very practical, very, very simple. What if I waited just three minutes? What if when I have the, this urge, this belief that I need to unleash on somebody, what if all I did was wait five minutes? What if that in service to want to really live for three minutes, I just did nothing? I remember, well, I can remember, I can remember, I'm sure, thousands of times when I wish I had did, done nothing. And I, I mean, I could list any, any time period in life, I could pick several, but a couple that have stuck out. One was this issue with the kids. Because that wasn't the only time something like that happened. It didn't happen every day. But as they were growing up, I would have this impulse that I had to control them. I had to fix this, and I had to fix it now. But there were other areas. As my kids were older, there was a, a story within our family about helping pay for college and who was going to do what. And, and it, it doesn't matter, the story, but my father-in-law, who, was, who has been one of the most influential, significant examples of what it looks like to be Jesus in the world. And I, I, I used to you know, always introduce him as he, it's my father, you know, he's been just like a father-in-law to me, but that was just a joke because he hasn't been like a father-in-law to me. He's been like a dad. He was really my dad so many ways. April and I got married when I was 20 and I didn't have much with my dad. And so he trained me, he raised me in so many ways. But in this conversation, he, he said something that, that just felt so wrong. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I sat down and I whipped out an email within seconds. And I hit send. How, how many times in our life, if we had waited five minutes before we hit send, one minute, three minutes, it doesn't matter. What if we had simply paused before we hit send? How much pain could we have avoided? I mean, I cut him so deep. And again, to his character, he did not immediately whip out an email and hit send. He paused. And we talked about it. 
I can't explain to you how impulse works because yours is different than mine. But what I know is common to all of us is that we want to live and our impulse to live is what's going to often lead us astray. The other, I said, so what if we did nothing? What if we just let it hurt? What if while we were hurting, we did nothing for a little bit? What if this emotional pain, this this attack I've experienced, what if I did nothing? I was, had been traveling and I was speaking and, and this was long, you know, this was before Ubers and who could afford, you know, that kind of a taxi and whatnot. And so April would always come back to the airport and pick me up. And we had, you know, sometimes she'd be a little late. And when I'd had an, it was a stressful weekend assignment and I, I was already feeling rejected and lonely and all kinds of things. And I can remember, I, I was in the, you know, that old underground, the underground part where you have the, the arrival part and it's dark and it's cold and I was down there and we didn't have a cell phone at that time. Um, they had them, we didn't have one. And she was like a half hour late. And in that half hour, I, I began to stack up all her offenses, all the ways in which she hurts me and and the minute the door opened, you, I have given you a little insight into my character, I suppose. You can imagine, I mean, I just began to erupt on her about her, in, you know, how rude and she didn't care. And, and I just, it felt like it's, it, I have to do this because I, she has to know or she has to change. And I hurt her so deeply. She didn't have a big story. She didn't hate me. She lost track of time. If only I had sat in the car for three minutes and let it hurt. I'm not saying the hurt's going to go away. The hurt's going to be hurt. But if I hadn't reacted, how much better would my life be? Do nothing, let it hurt. One more, be insignificant and foolish. There's no, no doubt that the patience is, is a story about time. It's, it's a story about just pausing, waiting, enduring. Often, the, the word patient is connected to God and his patience with us. That God is non-reactive to us. Imagine if every time we did something that we knew would hurt him, or we know would hurt him, which is what sin is. Sin is, sin is, not, a, is, is, is not so much about a moral code. It's about a father who keeps getting hurt because the one he loves the most is hurting themselves. That's what sin is. Sin is when I hurt me. I act in my own best interest. All the things I've talked about, those are sin because they hurt me and they hurt other people. It's not because, you know, God has an arbitrary moral code and it hurts him because it hurts me and it, you know, how that goes. But imagine if every time I did something, God was reactionary. 
Every time I, you know, flip the guy off who, in traffic who cut me off, I got a flat tire. You know, God just wrecked my truck. Whatever it is, he doesn't act like that. Be insignificant and foolish. You remember the story of Noah? Like, we, we all know the story of Noah, right? And do you know the time period between, so just think for a moment, that God asks Noah, tells Noah to build this ark that's going to be the rescue of the world. From that moment to when the rain started coming, about how long do you think? 40? Lot somewhere between 40 and over 100 is how scholars, I don't think anybody knows exactly, I don't remember, I don't think it says exactly, but somewhere in there, 40 to 100. So for 40 to 100 years, Noah's in, the, in a big field. He's just out in the field in his yard, I suppose, and his kids are cutting gopher wood and they're hauling it in. I mean, I mean, it's enormous, right? For 40 years. And, and you, I mean, this has to be the talk of the neighborhood at some point. I'm sure the, you know, the, the homeowners association has gotten together to talk about what he's doing. And they've got to come talk to him. What are you doing? And he says, I'm building an ark. Well, what's an ark? And he explains it. And, and, and can you imagine for 40 to 100 years having to tell the same story over and over? Well, there's going to be a, a big flood. We've never seen a flood. There's been no such thing as a flood. And we're going to put all the animals on here and everything else is going to drown. Can, how would you describe that story? And at what point would, would you think Noah would start thinking, this is never going to end. I've never even heard of rain. I've never seen a flood. How long can I endure this? How long can I look stupid? What if, what if in our political or denominational systems, we were just to ask ourselves, how long am I willing to just look stupid? In other words, the patient response is the response that will lead to life. Using these words, just do nothing, let it hurt, being significant, let's reread some of the scriptures. Really famous. Well, we call it the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Every wedding you go to, here it is. It's a great, great chapter. Love is patient. Love is sometimes doing nothing. Love, I would say to this young couple, is sometimes you just have to let it hurt for a while. Love is being willing to look foolish and to be insignificant, to not win. Imagine, imagine if we had entered in, if I had entered into my marriage and every opportunity I had, I could say, I don't need to win. I don't need to win. I don't have to be right. If I think about all the arguments April and I have spent so much energy on and it's simply about who's right. 
and it doesn't even matter who's right. It's just the, the idea of it. Somehow I believe if I'm right, I'll live. That's the flesh. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now let me describe again, this is the person he's talking about. An idle, faint-hearted, weak person. Everybody's favorite person in small group. And what is my impulse with these people? Hurry up and change. Do something. Be patient with the person that is difficult. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it sometimes doing nothing, letting it hurt, and being insignificant. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. I don't really have a I don't know, five steps to living more patiently. I I have what is not an abstraction, but uh, in service to this impulse. I want to live. I want to live well. I want to live what the Bible calls in the Spirit. And to do that, I sometimes have to do nothing. I have to let it hurt. And I have to be insignificant. Let me pray for us. Lord, we've gathered here to do what the scriptures have said, which is to wait for you. to let you be the one who moves and we respond. Oh Lord, so much of my life, I'm the one who moves and I ask you to respond. Lord, as we enter this new year, help us be patient. Help us love you and love others by letting go of these impulses and the belief that they will lead to life. We pray that you would empower us to live and walk in the Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's funny, as we were, I was thinking about our time together this morning, I thought, prayer can seem like the most insignificant and foolish thing I could do in response to something. I know that's not the right word, the right answer. 
And I know the theological and correct answer is it's the exact opposite, but I'm saying my impulse is that when life hurts, is that I would pray. When somebody's hurt me, that I would pray. That when I want something, I would pray. I, I think on this night that Jesus was betrayed, And it says this, and it said, he took the bread and he gave thanks. He prayed, he prayed. It's, it's, it's not profound, it's not a, a lot of action involved. But he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Just take this. And this is my blood which has been poured out for you. This is the wine of the new covenant. This is the new deal. And the new deal is this. That this impulse I have to live is not dependent on me. It's not my responsibility. It's even beyond my ability. All I can do is receive. And that's your invitation. That's our invitation today. If you would come to receive the bread, which is his body broken, and the cup, which is his blood shed, you can receive. On the, on the platters, they will also have um, a non-alcohol, this is wine, and there'll also be a gluten-free option um, that's available, is that right? Okay. I believe I'll look at the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen.